0: Thanks, Eric. Well, again, welcome to all of you, and uh, it's a joy for us to be here. My name is Ron Cool. I didn't say it earlier, but I'm one of the pastors here. One of the things that these children will learn, learn to do fairly soon, I mean, it won't be this year, but in, in the first few years of their lives, one of these, the things that children will learn to do is, is they'll learn to count, right? It's one of the first things. We learn language, we learn words, and then we learn to count, and we count everything. We count people, and we count days, and we count all sorts of things. And one of the reasons that kids want to learn to count is they want to know how many, right? They discover that counting has a a value to it because you want to know how many. How many sleeps until we get to go to grandma's house, right? Remember the kids asking that one. How many sleeps? How many nights before we get to go to grandma's house? Uh, On the other end, kind of, how many bites of broccoli do I need to eat? How many bites before I can have something that tastes decent and good? How, How many pieces of candy can I have? How many pieces of candy can I have? Pastor Ron said I can have 10. Uh, you know, but how many pieces of candy can I have? Right? Kids want to know. They want to know how many because it, it helps them to understand what they can do or how long they have to do something. As adults, we keep on counting how many. We keep on counting how many. We count how many people are going to have at Thanksgiving. Who, who's all going to be there? How many people are going to be there? Uh, how many days until the kids go back to school? Right? I mean, how many days do we have to kind of have them with us and then maybe. Most seriously, or more seriously, how many people are going to need some of my time today? How many people are going to ask something of me? How many people are asking to try to try to take something from me? Who are going to need me to talk to them, to give them some care, some love? And, and, And one of the reasons that we as adults count is because we want to know: Do we have enough? Do we have enough? We count what the needs are. We count what our resources is, what are, and we ask ourselves, do we have enough? Do we have enough food for Thanksgiving? Do we have enough food for everybody? We want to make sure that we have enough food for everybody. Do we have enough money? Do we have enough money to pay the bills? When are they due? How many days? When is it? How do we have enough? Let's count this up. Do we have enough money to pay the bills? Do we have enough energy to deal with everybody who needs us? Do we have enough strength just to make it through the day? And, and we count, and we look at our resources, and we make that balance. We say, these are the needs. These are my resources. How's it going to go today? Do I have enough? And too often, the numbers don't work out. Too often, we find ourselves in situations where, where it just seems like there are just too many. There are too many problems. There are too many challenges. There are are too many temptations. There are too many difficulties. And my resources are not enough. And at times we feel overwhelmed, right? We don't have enough. I can't make it through another day. I can't make it through another week. I can't care for everybody. It's just too much. My parents are too demanding. My kids are too demanding. Whatever it is, my spouse. And we come to that conclusion and we say, we don't have enough. And sometimes we just feel overwhelmed. Sometimes we just feel absolutely lost. Friends, this morning I want to tell you one of the most important things that we who belong to Jesus Christ believe. If you're still exploring, I want to invite you to follow him and and come to know this too. That in a world where we often come up short, God has enough. Our God is a God who has enough, and we need to learn to change the question and and, and at least add something else into the equation, because the question is not primarily, the main question is not how many we have, and the main question is not how many they, whoever they are, have. The main question is how many God has, and God always has enough. A couple of weeks ago, Daniel started us on a series called Living by Faith, And and, and we've been talking about what are the skills, what are the things we need to do in order to to live by faith. We're saved by God's amazing grace, but how do we live in, in, in faith? How do we live a life of trusting God? And Daniel talked about learning to say no. Learning not to be conformed to our culture, but be transformed, to say no to the world around us. Then last week we looked at Samuel and we talked about learning to listen. How Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, learning to listen for God's leadings, learning to listen to God's word, learning to listen. And this morning, what I want to say is if we are going to be people who live by faith, we need to learn to count. We need to learn God's math (laughs) because God's math is different sometimes than our math In order to think about this, we're going to look at a story involving a guy by the name of Gideon, and it takes place in Judges 6 and 7, all right? So if you have Bibles, you want to turn there, you can do that. But Judges 6 and 7, again, to set the stage just a little bit, believe it or not, this takes place during what are called the time of the Judges, which one would expect in the book of Judges. So again, when is that? It's after the people of Israel have been taken out of Egypt. After the Exodus, they're brought into the promised land, and it's before the time of the kings, During that period, God would raise up an individual and and that individual would be the judge, that individual, he would be the leader of the people of Israel. And again, we mentioned it last week, it's especially true this week, Israel is not doing well at obeying God. They they, they don't listen to God, they get into trouble, they cry out, God save us, God sends a judge, the judge saves them by God's power, And, and, and then the people listen and, oh God, we're gonna follow you, and then they turn their back on God and they go their own way. And now God is going to call on Gideon. They're in a valley. They're in a really bad place. And God is going to call on Gideon to lead his people. Judges 6, verse 1, all right? The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites. All right? So here's a map of Israel. You've got the Dead Sea at the bottom. You've got the Sea of Galilee at the top. There it is up there, Jordan River between them and so on. The Midianites were from down south, okay? They were actually off the screen. They were further down than that. But the Midianites were from down there, and they came up, and they just had their way with God's people, made it all through everything, and they're up there camped on this little kind of tributary, a little stream going into the Jordan River. There's a spring up there. It's a beautiful area. Because the power, verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So the Midianites came along, all right, and they they went through all the lowlands where you could grow crops. They went through all the places where there was water, and they occupied all of those places, and the Israelites ran into the hills. The Midianites were so powerful. There were so many of them. The Israelites just ran up into the hills. Uh, Verse five, the Midianites came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. That's how many, I mean, just this huge number of people. And it was impossible to count them. (laughs) You're going to see Gideon's counter. It was impossible to count them or their camels. It's got Mentions the camel. I don't know why, but they just have so many people, so many camels, they invaded the land to ravage it, okay? So again, here they are and the Midianites are, are camped up here and they have too many to count. Now, Gideon is in a city called Orphrah, a little village, little little area called Orphrah, which is just a little bit to the south and and to the uh west, right? Yeah. I don't know. I got it backwards, you know. Um, just to the left, okay? Left and down. Um, all right, so Gideon is there. Now, here's what happens. The, the Midianites are there. There are too many to count, um, and, and, and God is going to do something about it. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in o- o- Ophrah. It belonged to Joash the Abazirite, okay? This is Gideon's father, okay? So the angel of the Lord comes down, and he sits down underneath this this tree where... Where his son Gideon, where uh, Joash's son Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, if you're like me, you, you you read through that and you don't really think anything of it. But this is a really interesting phrase: threshing wheat in a wine press, and and it's something that you and I do on occasion. Okay, what does it mean? Why the people of of, uh, 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 of Gideon's day would have understood this immediately. What was he talking about here? Now, threshing wheat usually takes place outside. What you're doing when you're threshing wheat is that you have wheat has chaff on the outside, right? And, and it's got the kernel on the inside, the wheat on the inside. So what you need to do is you need to separate the wheat and the chaff. We talk about that, separating the wheat and the chaff. And, and the best way to do that, the easiest way to do that was to be outside like this, and there would be a breeze that's coming along, and you take the, the wheat and you throw it up into the air, and, and as it rubs against each other, the chaff comes off, and the wind blows the chaff away. Okay, the wind blows the chaff away and the wheat falls to the ground. It's heavier than the chaff. So it falls to the ground, the chaff goes away, all right? And, 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 and that was the way you do it. Now, sometimes you, you didn't have to just throw it in the air. You didn't throw it in the air. You beat it with something. But this would have been an unbelievably dirty, dusty process, right? That's why you wanted to be in the open air. You, you, be, you needed to get some air movement because you could just imagine this chaff is falling apart it 's little particles, and, and you need the wind to blow it away so Gideon was threshing wheat, but he was doing it in a wine press, and most wine presses were underground or in caves. most grind presses were enclosed in areas. So do you understand the the strangeness of this? He's doing something that's going to cost all this dust that's going to get into his eyes, get into his lungs, get into his mouth, and he's doing it in this enclosed area. He's doing it in this area that nobody else can see, and so it had to be horrible. The air quality was just awful down in that wine press, but there was one reason that Gideon did that, and it was because he was scared to death. We're, we're threshing wheat in a wine press when we end up just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stay inside. And I, I don't, And sometimes we can't get up, but sometimes it's just I'm afraid to face the world. I'm afraid to do any of that. I'm scared of, of, of all that's going to happen out there. So I'm going to hide away, and I'm going to just thresh my wheat. And, and, and I know it's uncomfortable, and I know it's bad, but I'm going to do this because we're scared. We're overwhelmed. we're we're sometimes just, the, the enemies are too many, the problems are too big, we don't have the money in the checking account, whatever it is, however you want to say it, but Gideon was scared, that's why he's down there doing something really foolish, must have come up for air, come up for a break or whatever, but we read this in verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Which is a rather strange name, all right? Recognize the humor of this. Mighty warrior, you who have been hiding in a wine press. <laughs> you who have been threshing your weed in the dumbest place possible. You who have no strength. You who are a scaredy cat. You, I mean, come on, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I love how Gideon responds, because you can tell he's not a hero. You can tell he's not this kind of strong, in-your-face kind of guy. Because he says, uh, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> Uh, par- pardon me, my Lord, um, and I think he's looking around for somebody else that could have been talked to here, um, but and basically what he says is, if the Lord is with us, then why is this happening to us? I mean, if the Lord is with us, then why are we in this situation? If the Lord is with us, why are we facing this difficulty and the angel responds, go in the strength you have. And share, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Doesn't really address the question. Just says, go in the strength. And he says, the strength you have. And, and again, Gideon picks up on those words. The strength you have. And he says, um, again, pardon me, my Lord. Uh, excuse me. I don't want to be a bother here. I, I don't want to make life difficult. But do, do, I, I wonder if you're just in the wrong place. Because my family is not exactly strong. In, in fact, in our whole tribe, we're the weakest. Okay, we are the ones that everybody makes fun of. They call us four eyes. They call us all sorts of things, you know. And and and, and let's be honest. I come from a weak family, and I'm the weakest of the wimps. And so I'm just wondering if you've got the wrong place. The Lord answered. We don't really know if the angel of the Lord was with, or the Lord was with the angel of the Lord, or if it was actually the Lord the whole time. But now it is God Himself speaking, and He says these words: He says, "I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I will be with you, and you will do this." And Gideon says, "Ah." almost he doesn't say it, but it's almost another, "Pardon me, my Lord." He says, "Uh." Gideon replied, if I, now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. And, And there's a whole series of signs, it's for another sermon, but a whole series of signs where finally Gideon gets to the place where he agrees to call the troops. He agrees to blow the trumpet. That was a sign that all the troops need to rally, and they gather at a place called Herod, all right? So let's go back to our map. we got Ophrah there. We've got Midianites up there, and, and this is where Herod is right here, okay? That's, that's where everybody is gathering. He calls on the troops. Israel gathers at Herod, and again, <laughs> Gideon's a counter. They have 32,000 troops, 32,000 troops. I gotta be, tell you, when I, when I read that, I think that's a lot of fighting men, Thirty-two thousand troops is a lot of fighting men, but but Gideon knows it's not enough. It's not enough because again the Midianites have how many more than you can count? One point in the story it says more than the sand on the she- seashore. Okay, more than you can count, more than you can possibly imagine. And so Gideon is just looking at it, going, "We are dead meat." Whether they had a million and we have thirty-two thousand, whatever is it was some ridiculous number at this point. Okay, and we're in big trouble. Verse two, the Lord said to Gideon. You have too many men. And he doesn't say it out loud, but in the back of my mind, i got to believe that Gideon is going, pardon me, Lord. I think he meant to say they have too many men. I, we all misspeak sometimes, right? We kind of get that. I think he meant to say they have too many men. We agree we're all going to go home. <laughs> yeah, they have too many. We'll just try again on another day. Let's, let's see if others show up. The Lord said, no, you, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, into your men's hands. Or Israel would boast against me, saying, my own strength has saved me. You guys would convince yourself. We're amazingly able to do that, to convince yourselves that that we're able to stand on our own two feet, to convince ourselves that we can handle what life comes our way, to convince ourselves that we're strong enough, that we're tough enough. God says, I don't want you to confuse that. I don't want you to think that you can handle life. I don't want you to think you can stand on your own two feet. So tell everybody who's scared they get to go home tell everybody who's scared that they get to go home and 22,000 leave, which by my math leaves about 10,000. And I imagine Gideon sort of looking at the Lord and saying, well, I think we've solved that too many problem. How's that? Are we happy now? And of course the Lord's not. Judges 7, verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Have everyone, Have everyone go down to the stream and get a a drink of water at the stream. And he says, Take a look, pay attention to how they get the drink of water. Okay, they're going to be two different ways. God says, This is what's going to happen. So they go down. Gideon's the one standing up. Okay, and God says, Gideon, some of the people, some of the people are going to kneel. Okay, you're going to have some kneelers. Okay, they're going to get down on their hands, they're going to put their whole face in the water. Okay, they're just going to put their face in the water and drink the water that way. There are going to be some who are hunchers. They're going to hunch down on their, on, on, on their feet yet and, and, and they're going to reach down and they're going to pull up water and they're going to lap it like a dog, okay? They're going to lap it like a dog. They're going to do that. So you'll have some kneelers and some hunchers. And so they go and Gideon looks at this and, and, and the great majority are, are kneelers. 9,700 kneelers. That only leaves 300 hunchers. And I've got to believe Gabriel at this point is going, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, send the kneelers home. And so the 9,700, they leave. And it's Gideon and 300 hunchers. Now, we might wonder, why did the hunchers get in and the kneelers go out? And, and you can come up with some theories. Well, that the, the, the kneelers ran the risk of their weapons getting, because they got all the way down, their weapons getting dirty, or the hunchers were more aware because they had their heads up. They were lap, lapping the water like a dog, and so they kept their eyes up, and they were ready for attack. I don't really know if it matters. <laughs> what, what was important is God just needed Gideon to get down to, 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 to a really ridiculously low number. 300 versus a million, or whatever it is. I mean, it needed to get down to a place where it was absolutely crazy. God says, now you've got the right amount. So what we've got is we've got Gideon with 300. And so his army has shrunk, and we've got the Midianites with more than you can count, and so their army is huge. Friends, that's not a good day to go into battle. The numbers don't add up. During that night... As they're uh, waiting there, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I, and that's the key word, God says, I am going to give it into your hands. I am going to give it into your hands. Now, Gideon, I know you're still scared. So God gives him another instruction. God gives him another gift. Part of what's so wonderful about this story, and I hope we can see this, is that Gideon, whose faith is weak, at best, okay? His faith is weak. God doesn't yell at him. God keeps nurturing him along. God keeps growing him up. God keeps helping him out, and he says to him, you know, go into the the camp, all right? Sneak into the Midianite camp. I've already been at work. Got to understand something, and this is what we need to see. We count with our eyes God has been at work in other places, okay? I've already been at work. So Gideon sneaks down into the camp, and he hears two Midianite soldiers talking, one says to the other, I had a dream, I had a dream that, that, that this huge loaf of bread, I think that's, I don't know why, but this huge loaf of bread came down from the mountain and it smashed our camp and we were all killed. And it's just this, I had this horrible dream. And, and his friend says to him, his friend replied, this can be none, nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites, God has given us and the whole camp into his hands. And Gideon is like, this is, I can't believe this, but it's, it's going to happen. So Gideon now is, is, is knowing that it's going to be okay. He goes back up and he, and he tells everybody, wake up, we're going to attack right now. And everybody gets, you, you may have, some of you may have heard this story, but everybody gets a, a torch and a bowl to put over top of it, to hide it, and a trumpet. And, and they place themselves, I don't know how far apart, but they've placed themselves all the way around the Midianite camp. And, 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 and so they look like they have them completely surrounded, all right? It's an, I would imagine there was actually quite a bit of room between each one, and if the Midianites had actually seen what was going on, they would have been just dead in the water. But they do that, and on, on Gideon's signal, they, they, they crack the, the bowls, they hold up the lamps, and they blow the trumpets, and, and, they, and they scream out for God and the Midianites well they start to kill each other alright when the 300 trumpets sounded the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords and the army fled to Beth Shittah towards Zerara as far as the border of Abel Mahola near Tabith okay? so again the Midianites who are here this happens they run down there they are no more and Israel is again at peace in the land. It's an amazing victory for God's people. But, but the important thing for Gideon to learn is how to count and learning to count by faith. Because you see, what Gideon learned is that 300, and it could be one, 300 plus God is greater than all the enemies. 300 plus God is enough. 300 plus God One plus God, you plus God. When God gets in the equation, God always wins. It is enough, and God has the strength. And when you and I start to count, and when you and I say just, it's too much, it's too overwhelming, the pain is too big, the problems are too many, when we start to count, we need to say, but God is on my side. And when I add God to my side of the equation, all of a sudden the balance changes. All of a sudden I, I realize that God has enough. Now that doesn't mean that God is always going to give us victory in that moment. It doesn't mean that we're always going to, like the, the Gideon did with the Midianites, be able to all our enemies flee right then. But it does mean he will be with us every single day. Two lessons for us. Two lessons for all of us. But I was also thinking, for those of you who had children baptized, teach your children these things. First, we have to watch out that we don't overestimate our own strength. Uh, one of the things about a church like ours in an area like this is that many of us have a lot of resources. And not just financial resources, but we have relational resources. I mean, we think of the families gathered here, and that's wonderful, okay? It's, it's really great to have all of those resources, but we must remember that we never have enough on our own, We never have enough. I don't care how easy your life is. I don't care how how big your bank account is, how many people you have on your side. You do not have enough. In this broken world, it can take just a half a second and everything changes and we are overwhelmed and we are lost. And we must constantly remember that on our own, we never have enough. There's a movie about 30 years ago that came out called The Bear, and uh, it's old now, but some of you may have seen it. But in this movie, it's about a, an orphan cub. Mom and dad are both gone, but an orphan cub who is, well, taken under his wing by a grizzly bear, okay? This big old daddy, it's a papa grizzly bear, this big old grizzly bear. At first, he doesn't want to take care of the cub, but then he ends up taking care of the cub and, and, and watching over the cub. And and this cub is, you know, just a little guy, really cute and so on. The cub is there, and at one point in the story, the cub gets taken away from the grizzly bear, from the papa bear, all right? He gets washed into some water. He gets brought downstream, and he ends up on some rocks, okay, in the middle of the river. And this this little cub is there, and, and he's trying to figure out what to do. And then a mountain lion comes. A mountain lion comes from the other side, and, and, and against a papa bear, the mountain lion doesn't stand a chance, but against the baby bear, the mountain lion's got lunch. So the mountain lion comes out, and the movie shows how the, the mountain lion comes out, makes its way, and they're standing at these rocks, and they're, they're shaking, uh, you are hitting each other with their paws, and then the, the little cub must remember what he's seen his his dad do. And the little cub rises up on his haunches. He's still only about this tall. He rises up on his haunches, and he goes, it's like the cougar looks at him like mountain lion like dude really And he does it again mountain lion looks at him and then just takes off running and at that point the camera turns and we see that behind the little cub is dad (laughs) is the grizzly bear and the grizzly bear is going and the mountain lion's going i'm done you see we're that little cub friends you're, you're not, none of us are strong enough to, to, to overcome the problems of our world. But we don't have to, okay? Our Papa in heaven is standing behind us. And, and with him, we have enough. I teach kids that they're not big on their own. But that God is big enough. The good news is that's okay because we weren't created to be self-reliant. We weren't created to stand on our own two feet. We were created to live by God's power. And So remember, remember, remember that we are not as strong as we think we are. Friends, you cannot face this world and overcome it on your own. The second thing is we must always remember that God is big enough. That God is big enough There is no enemy on this earth. There is no power on this earth. There is nothing that will overcome him. And that gives us two things. First, strength for today. It gives us strength for today. I'd like to say it gives us victory for today, and sometimes it does. But it doesn't always give us victory today. What it gives us is strength. It gives us the strength to know that that Papa Bear is never going to let go of us. Papa Bear is always going to wrap us in his arms. And even if in this world we die, we are still in the arms of Papa God. He will not let us go. And He will do that. And So it's strength for today and then bright hope for tomorrow. It's that hope for tomorrow. Because one day, Papa Bear's going to roar. One day, Papa Bear's going to roar, and all the cancer and all the mountain lions and all the death and all the brokenness and all the pain and all the tears are going to be gone. Papa Bear's going to roar, and, and all the hurt is going to be gone. Papa Bear's going to roar, and we're going to be together playing like little cubs for all of eternity, celebrating God's goodness and and messing around in streams. and I don't know if we'll catch fish or not, but we'll be doing fun stuff. Someday that's going to happen. So continue to count. We can't stop it. That's who we are. When we are counting, friends, please remember to count God. and To know that God is big enough. Whatever you're going through, God can carry you Let's pray together. Father, at times we feel completely overwhelmed. At times we just feel like there's just so much going on. Think of parents and and kids, whether they're little kids or older kids. I I think of relationships and the hurt and the brokenness that's there. I think of the bills that some of us have to pay. I think of the jobs some of us have to go to. I think of some of the, the problems that some of us have with people we dearly love who, who, who don't know you, who have walked away from you. Father, we do the math and we come up empty. Remind us that you are big enough. Remind us that you are strong enough. Remind us that you are faithful. You'll not let us go today, In one day all things will be made new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.